Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to 100 Foot Jesus, episode 38. This is your host, Matt. Um, so today, uh, we are going to keep the theme of the last few weeks. Uh, you guys have had some really positive feedback for us on this, and um, we are going to keep with the theme of sermons. This week, uh, it's a sermon that I did a while back. Um, it was called, How Not to Get Hit by a Truck. And it was all about repentance and how repentance isn't actually like a scary thing on a sandwich board or a bullhorn, dude. It's actually a good thing that God gives us that is a gift. So thanks so much for supporting the show, everybody. And um, without further ado, here is this week's episode called A Sermon on Repentance. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Um, so I learned something recently about myself that I never thought I would learn, but apparently some of y'all learned it a while ago. I learned I'm old, and I didn't know that. Because um, here's why. I mean, I know I got four kids. I've been married almost 11 years. So you'd think that aging would have happened, but I kind of ignored it. Until you're around teenagers all the time. And to them, 33 may as well be 403, right? I mean, it's like the oldest age in the world. But here's a litmus test. If you still think you're young and you're cool, this is the test I'm going to give you, okay? Go somewhere in public. Trip and fall down. The reaction tells you if you're old or not. If people still point and laugh, you're still young. If you fall and everyone's concerned, you just got old. I'm sorry. That's just what happens. So I'm old, man. Uh, next Tuesday, we're going to hang out with some of the young adults from here, and we're going to Cedar Point, and we're getting all these group texts saying, can you and Emily make it till 10 o'clock? Like, and I'm like, yes, with a good nap. I can. I can make it till 10 o'clock. No problem. So anyway, um, thanks for letting me uh, hang out with you guys today a little bit. This has been an awesome summer for messages. I mean, Craig is always just passionate and delivers the word in, a, in just a perfect way, the way it's meant to be. Um, we, we've had two sermons from Dave Edwards recently, and I've been raving about it to my wife about just those are two of the best messages I've ever heard, honestly. Just so exactly right spot on where we are in our times right now, and just basically interpreting the newspaper the way God wants us to in a healthy way, and just giving God all the glory. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Micah, who really couldn't preach today, because he kind of sounds like Mike Tyson with laryngitis, but like, because um, he's, got, he's got a little bit of the, the sick here, but he, but he preached a few weeks ago, and it was so good, because he's such a good gospel storyteller. So today, um, I'm just going to, I'm not going to be like any of those, because I'm me, um, but I'm just going to give you a story that I think is really important to our time right now, and um, it's one of my favorite stories from all of Scripture. Now, when you hear what story it's going to be, some of you guys are going to do the church thing. You're going to say, ah, heard that story. I may as well have wrote it. I know every word of that story. You're not telling me anything new. I can set this week out. Um, to that, I'd say, don't do that. Because if it's in God's word, it shouldn't be that familiar. Um, one of the, my favorite quotes says this. It says, anything too familiar will lose its awe. And when you hear a story that Jesus teaches, don't let that awe go away. Like it's familiar, and you know every word of it because you don't. This story is traditionally known as the story of the man 
with two sons. Now, we always call it the story of the prodigal son, which is, a, that title is about 100 years old. People never called it that before that. The reason is, is this, there's three main characters, and within these three main characters, they equally star in this story. They equally serve a purpose to teach us, and they represent some very, very important things within the Christian walk. Um, so with that said, the way people would teach parables of Jesus' day, he didn't invent parables when he taught. People taught parables a lot. But typically when they taught parables, they did it through actors. Meaning they would say, okay, here's a story of this person. You are going to represent you. You are going to represent this person. You are going to represent this person. And as he would say it, they would act it out. So today, as to not make the, st the story of the man with two sons too familiar, we're going to use some actors. Okay, let's see here. Um, I'm going to need a few. Uh, let's see. Um, I need a younger son. A younger son. Who wants to be the younger son today? Who wants to be a younger son today? CJ, come on up here. This is CJ. He's going to be our younger son. Take a spot right up there for me. Okay, um, I need an older son. An older son. Ooh, we, got a lot of, we got a lot of willing participants in here here. Um, let's see, who wants to be Dalton? I want you to be my older son today. Come on up. Okay, now I need the father. It's got to be someone, when you look at them, they have respectability. They have, they, have, they have age. They have lots of experience in their life. Jack Andrews is perfect for that. Come on up here, Jack Andrews. Okay, give our actors a hand. Okay, this is the story of the prodigal son. Now, I can't tell it um, without giving them a little bit of costumes because I like costumes. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, we're going to have the, 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 the older father, so he can't look like Jack. He's got to be this. Let's see, hold it right there. There you go. Oh, your head's just perfect size. Okay, that's the father. Um, for the older brother, you need to wear this, and I'll tell you why here in a second because of what he represents. And CJ, you'll like this. Um, you are the younger brother. You're young. So, so here's what you get to have. You get to have a hat, right? It's a good hat. It says Michigan on it, not Michigan Wolverines. It's the state. Anyway, okay, so um, adjust it the way you like. Make it look fresh. There's ladies in the crowd. You don't embarrass yourself. Okay, now, this story is called The Prodigal Son. So, now, here's the thing. Um, my older brother, you're not in this scene until the very end, and you kind of ruin the story. So that's going to be your job. So what I need you to do is just kind of step right back here, and I'll tell you when it's your turn. We have good old father here, and we have the younger son. Now, to be the younger son, there's three ways to wear a ball cap, I've learned. There is, there is old school, there is new school, and there is dropped out of school. So you can be one of the three. It's up to you. Live the way you live. That's okay. All right, so um, I do all three, by the way, just so you know. Okay, um, so this is how the story starts. You are going to be front and center, Mr. Father. You are the younger son. So, okay. So here's what you're going to do. You're not even going to have speaking parts. I'm going to let you guys off the hook here today. Okay, um, so you come to the Father. I'm going to give you some money. You're not going to keep this. This is for the prop. Let's see here. Take this. Okay, so you come to your dad. You walk up to him. You've got to shake your fist at him and say, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And the Father does it. And that's what he does. He gives it to him. So the father kind of looks at him. He wants to hug him, but he doesn't. They're not at that point. 
here, okay? So then the father gets out of the scene. Now, the younger son, he has his share of the inheritance. Well, what does that mean? Well, in that culture, your share of inheritance is everything that father earned his whole life, he has to give him half. In that, in that culture, that's the equivalent of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. He's a disrespectful younger son, but that's what he does. So he sets off into a distant country. Come with me. Okay, so he's in a distant country, and, and he sets off far away from his family. And then he has wild living. You still got that money he gave you? He's pocketing it. Okay, all right. All right, all right. now you take that. It's wild living. So here's what you got to do. You got to take it. You got to throw it up in the air, man. You got to toss it. Just toss it. That's what you do. You toss it, right? You kind of dance it around. You, yeah, yeah. $3 is a lot in that time. Inflation. So anyway, so... Look at you. Okay, yeah, throw your money again. Throw your money again. Throw your money again. Okay. All right, so he has wild living. But here's what he realizes. Every dollar his dad gave him, every dollar his dad earned, is gone now because he had wild living. So he, go come up with me, he has to work. He, go, he looks for some locals. He says, hey, can you guys hire me? I'm going to do some gross work for you, whatever. So he does work. Show us work. What's work look like? Do you know? You don't know yet. Okay, so anyway, that's all right. You'll learn. You'll learn. Sorry to his parents. Okay, so anyway, so, so, so he does work. Um, do like a shovel thing for us. Can you shovel? Okay, there. Is, this, is that disco? What do you do? Okay, anyway, so, so, okay, so he's doing work in the fields and stuff, and then he realizes, I got nowhere to sleep, so he, lay down, take a nap for us, he sleeps with the pigs. Now, as you know, he's a Jew that's unclean, but he's got nowhere else to sleep, so he sleeps with the pigs. He steals their food at night because he is completely starving. So eventually, he... Get up for his younger son. Eventually, he realizes, I'm going to have to come to my senses. Pause that. Okay, Father, you're over here. Right here. Right here. Okay, you're going to stand right here. Okay? And I'll tell you what to do. It'll be very important here in a second. Okay, so he says, I'm going to come to my senses. He goes, you know what? My father is wealthy. And if I was just one of his hired hands, not his son, I'm not worthy for that, then I could be in his good graces. He could give me somewhere to sleep, real food. This would be great. So he starts to walk. Walk real slow. Walk real slow. Then all of a sudden, the father runs to him and gives him a huge hug. A huge one. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay, they like each other. Okay, so anyway, so he gives him a huge hug. And then you two up here. You two up here. Your turn's coming up. And then he comes up here, and the father says, slaughter the fattened calf. They have a three-day party, but not just a party, a party. And they dance. And they dance. And they dance. Now during this, the older brother is doing work in the field. And he hears wild dancing, which it looked better than that. And they had heard wild dancing and music. So he comes down from the field. He comes right here. He comes up and he crosses his arm. He's mad because he looks at his dad and he says, hey, I have been faithful to you always. And what do I get? A party? No. You throw him a three-day celebration when he squandered half of your income? That's all you give me? And he's angry. And the father, come on up here, he looks at the son and he says, my son once was lost and now he's found. And that's how the story ends. Okay, I need you guys to stay right there for a second. 
Okay, now, this story has a twist ending because it is not a happy ending. If you see all three characters as equals, you want redemption in your story. There's no redemption for the older son. Here's, how, here's what they represented when the story was originally taught. Christian rabbis would teach this story, and all three would have a purpose. Um, you have your younger son. He doesn't represent sin like we think. He represents repentance, okay? He's repentance. That's not a popular word in the church. We're going to get to that. Um, then you have the, the father. He not only, yes, represents God, but he represents grace, that's what he's for. So when you would teach this, you would teach repentance and grace. Now, our man here in the judge's robe, what's he represent? He represents judgment. He represents, I've earned this. Why aren't I receiving it? He's judgment. Okay, you guys can have a seat. Thank you. Keep your props if you want. It doesn't matter. Okay, have a seat. Thank you. Okay. So, you know, I thought they would dance better than that. But that's okay. It's all good. All right, so anyway. So that's what this story looks like. Now, as you notice, the story ends, and it's sad because it ends with the, the brother with his arms crossed. Now, why does, De why does Jesus teach this story the way he does? He ends it with his arms crossed. Why? Because it, for Jesus to very soon go to the cross, he couldn't look at his children and do this, could he? Because he had to be doing this, right? So he's saying, don't cross your arms at people. You have to love people. So how did this work? Okay, so why these three characters? Why does the story of the man with two sons have the three characters it does? Let's look at the story. This is, um, this is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. We're going to set the scene a little bit. It says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So they're upset. So who are the people present? You have Jesus there. Then you have, so you've got God represented. Then you have the tax collectors and sinners. Now, we, we kind of misrepresent sometimes in our culture who the tax collectors were. They're not the IRS. They're actually way worse than that. Uh, tax collectors were this. They worked primarily at this point for the Romans, and they lived in the nicest house in very poor communities. Why? Because they were stealing money from everyone around them. Okay, if you look at Zacchaeus, the wee little man in the sycamore tree, that's why he was so hated by everyone, because he lived in this big old penthouse, and everybody else was scraping for scraps, because he stole their money all the time. So tax collectors were despised. And then he has the word sinners. That's a very harsh word. You could say that could mean any of us, but the word sinners is really, it can be interpreted as prostitute. It can be interpreted as murder, thief. So that's who he's hanging out with, he's hanging out with the tax collectors, hated by everyone, and the thief, possibly looked down by everyone, maybe hated by everyone. And then you had the Pharisees, and you had the teachers of the law, right? So they were all present. So why these characters? Because that's the characters in his story. You have the teachers of the law. That's the older brother. They're saying, hey, we know this stuff, and you're wrong. Stop hanging out with them. You have the tax collectors and the sinners that's your younger son. They're saying, you know what? We don't really know this stuff, but man, we just want to be redeemed in some way. Please teach us how. Then you have Jesus, who is the God in this story. Now, he doesn't first tell the story of the three sons, or the two sons. Why? Because first he sets it up with two smaller stories. 
he tells the story of the lost sheep, where he says, you know, if you have 99 sheep, would you leave them? They're yours to go rescue the one you don't have. And they're all like, I don't think so. He goes, well, I would. Because he's saying everyone has value. Then you have the story of the lost coin, where this woman tears apart her home just for one little coin. One little coin, really? He's saying, hey, I know you think I shouldn't be hanging out with these people, but everyone matters. Everyone has value. And he uses those two to set the stage for the man with two sons. So he tells his dad at the beginning, he says, I want my share of the inheritance. I want it now. That's our culture right there. He wants instant gratification. He doesn't care about five years from now. He wants an awesome next five minutes. That's us. That's what we do. That's, that's what we're addicted to. We want our future now. That's why we fight so hard for politics. Not to upset people, but maybe I'll upset people a little bit. Um, not to, that's why we fight so hard for our party, our politics, because we don't understand that we're waiting on a risen Savior to return. We follow him. So we think, no, these people in, in suits and pantsuits and all these things, they're here to save us. Don't talk down to my saviors. And that's why we fight so hard for that, because we want instant gratification. We need our savior now. When he already came, he's waiting on us again. That's the instant gratification. That's, that's why, what, think of any sin, play it in your mind right now that you committed this week. It comes down to, no, you need to be fulfilled now. That's what it's all about. Now, we hear the story, and we say, whoa, man, you, you need that instantly now. Really? And you say, that's selfish. And yes, it is. But also, I think there was part of this motivation. I think the younger son really wanted to do things his way. He's saying, my dad is success. He's in charge of all this stuff. But man, if I do it my way, then, I, then, I'll, do it, then I'll do it without my father's help. And I'll do a good job. And that's us. That's what we think. We think, oh, God gives us all this, but man, if I do it my way, I'm going to really succeed. Now look at verse 13. Not many days later, this is after he spends his money and everything, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. This is when he leaves. And then he squandered his property in reckless living. It's, it's the same verse. He's like, oh, he leaves, but it's gone, right? Um, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. He's saying, I could do it all by myself. I could do it all by myself. Oh, I didn't plan for that. I have nothing. Um, I have a two-year-old son right now. His name's Finn. He's amazing. Okay, this kid's awesome. But he's at that stage, and all you guys who have kids or around kids, you know this. It's the I can do it myself stage. And it's cool sometimes, but sometimes it's ridiculous. Like, you know, like it's kind of cool. Um, he got out of his car seat when we got to church this morning. That's cool. Um, when he tries to change his own diaper, not cool. That ain't going to work, right? But he, but he attempts it. It's not going to work. Um, other things he tries to do that, that work and don't work. Um, one day, Emily's out of the house, and he wants some milk. So I'm like, yeah, I'll get you some milk. He goes, I can do it myself. And by the way, I'm a bad parent, so I wasn't paying attention. So, um, so he walks in, and there's a gallon of milk, and he tries to take it down. And as you would realize, oh, my gosh, right? Like, because he wants to do it himself, and he's at that stage. And on one, on one side, you're like, oh, man, 
I'm so happy you're trying to do stuff for yourself. On the other hand, saying, hey, you're not there yet. Let your father do it, okay? And that's kind of where the younger son is until he hits that moment. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, or as the NIV says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It says um, he came to himself, right? He came to his senses. Well, what's that? That's that moment where you think I can do it all by myself, I can do it all myself, and then you realize I have to repent. Who loves that word, repent? It's an awesome word, right? It makes you, makes you supercharged. You love repent. Um, this is why some of you didn't raise your hand, because this is what we think when we think of the word repent. Um, it's a guy in the street doing this, right? He doesn't want to talk to you. He doesn't want a relationship with you. We're in Daytona Beach a couple weeks ago on vacation. This guy, probably well-meaning in his heart, he didn't have a conversation with a person. He had a bullhorn screaming at the world, and he had a sign almost just like this. And it just said, repent or perish. You need to repent or perish. Just scream and scream and scream. And, and this is what society sees repentance as. So some of you, when you hear the word repent... You're just, you're taking off. You're saying, hey, don't judge my life. Why is this message called how not to get hit by a truck? Well, here's why. It's about, that's the part of repentance. Okay, this is how repentance works. Um, the word repentance, it means about face. All right? So imagine this. Imagine um, I'm just walking down the street, and, and I see you walking towards traffic, and you're on your phone. You're just texting and stuff. Then all of a sudden, the gigantic semi is coming towards you, and it's, going, and it's barreling down. It's coming towards you real quick, but you're just texting. You don't care, whatever. And then I scream, hey, stop. Turn around. Other way, other way. And you look at me, and you go, huh, maybe I should go the other way. So you start walking this way. Truck passes. That's kind of what repentance is like. It's like saying, you know, in your life, you're going a certain direction. But God's calling you say, hey, no, 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 towards me. No, 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 towards me. Towards me. Something we always tell our teenagers, okay, here. Um, when God says don't, he's meaning don't hurt yourself, right? If I tell my kid, do not put your hand on the stove, it's because it hurts. Look at every single thing that's listed as a sin in Scripture, okay? Things that in your life you know the Spirit is leading you away from. Those are things that are going to hurt your life. It's not just about honoring him, because it is. It's about you really need to live a life of repentance, of honoring him instead. Some of us, we have been Christians for years, and we don't think we need a daily life of repentance because we lean on grace, right? The God character in the story. We lean on grace and we say, I got grace. It doesn't matter. So the movies we enjoy are exactly like non-Christians movies. Exactly. The TV shows we enjoy are exactly like the ones non-Christians enjoy. The music we enjoy, the jokes we tell, the people we surround ourselves with and are influenced by, we're not influencing exactly like non-Christians. 
And we've lived as Christians for so many years that we think we don't need repentance because we have grace. We kind of look like this picture I have to show you guys. Um, this. We are babies, and we're dressed as old people, right? We're saying we're so mature. How long have you been a Christian? We'll say 10 years, 20 years. Hebrews chapter 2 describes that as we live on these elementary truths. You're not at the point of your life. You may have been Christian for decades or years. You're not at the point of your life where you can honestly read God's word on your own. You feel like you have to be fed for 30-something minutes a Sunday, and that's good enough. Because this is you. You dress up like you're old enough. You're not even close. And you feel like, you know, I don't need to learn God's word because Craig teaches it to me, or, or, or Matt teaches it to me on Wednesdays, or Micah does, or whatever. And you think, I don't need that because they spoon-feed it to me. See, you're a baby that gets fed by its mother only, and you don't feed yourself. And that's you. But more importantly, you don't live a life of repenting. You don't live a life of saying, I'm not living for you right now, but I sure would like to. And, and, and you're like, I'm not going to be a Facebook Christian anymore, sharing the scripture, arguing over issues that Christians care about. I want to be somebody that says, i got to kill my sin and move on. And we're really good at repentance as long as it's for someone else. Right? Like, we love the idea of repentance as long as we don't have to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like um, you can sit around. Uh, we were at junior high camp. Love these kids, man. We got some sixth through eighth graders. And we're sitting around, and one of our discussion questions was, what is the thing that's hurting our country the most? Love their little hearts, man. Some of the kids said, you know, you know hate, violence, whatever. Then other kids talked about specific sins that other people commit that they never, ever will. Right? They're like, oh, well, homosexuality is destroying the nation. Or, oh, you know, this racism is destroying the nation, and people who talk about black people, Mexican people this way, that's what's destroying the nation. And we as adult sponsors, we stopped and we said, are any of your sins hurting things? Or just everybody else's? Right? We're really good at repentance, but not our own, everyone else's. Um, so how did Jesus deal with repentance? He did it a really funny way a couple times. Um, here's one way I really enjoyed. Uh, this is Luke chapter 12, verse 57. He's talking to a big crowd, and he says this. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising from the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. You're saying, hey, it's going to rain. And so, it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You say, it's going to be hot, and it is. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So, so what, what's he saying? He's saying that, man, you all obsess over talking about the weather, but you have no idea how to interpret the fact that you need to repent in your life. The weather is the silliest thing in the world to talk about, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Like, you have an app on your phone, probably, and it tells you, okay, it's 81 degrees. 
that pretty much settles that, right? There's not a lot more to say there. Um, you can walk outside and you'll be like, oh, man, it's, it's hot. Okay, then, right? Or, oh, it's going to rain later, and we obsess over these things. We talk about them. And Jesus says, hey, you say it's going to rain? Guess what it does? That's cool. You say it's going to be hot? Oh, it's cool. He says, but you interpret that stuff, which none of it matters. But you don't even know how to interpret your own time. There's another time where Jesus talks about repentance to the people. Same chapter. And he says this. He says, um, they, they're like, hey, did you hear about this tragedy, Jesus, where this tower fell and all these people died? What, what do we say about that? He goes, well, I don't know about that, but here's what I will say. Um, what about your life? What about being passionate about the way you are following me? Right? What about repentance in your own life. We constantly say, hey, what about the weather? But instead we're saying, hey, are you ready to die? Because here's what happens next, right? That, that's the difference. He says, hey, that's what repentance is like. Now, we hear the word repent, and, and, and it gets really, really um, dangerous because people have this idea of how Jesus interacted with people. And you'll say, but he never called the sinners to repent. Yeah, he did. Show me a time in the New Testament that Jesus interacts with somebody and he almost always gets around to the fact that they need to repent in their life. He talks to religious leaders and that think they have the whole thing figured out and he says, yeah, no, um, you really just need to repent. You, you, you need to understand that you don't have all the answers. Everyone matters. You need to repent. And we get that. We love when he yells at the religious leaders. That gets us pumped. And then he talks to the sinners, and we're like, yeah, but he just tells them, you're good, don't worry, it's all love. And he does that, but that's not his point. He talks to the woman at the well, right? We love that story, you know, and he talks to her, and he, and he tells her that he's the Savior coming, and everybody gets real excited about that. But then she's, he says, hey, oh, and by the way, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. She go, he goes, I know, you have, you've had a lot, and you're living with a guy you're not even married to right? He's telling us, leave this life of sin. We, we love the story from John chapter 8. The woman getting, you know, they're going to stone her because she's caught with another man that's not her husband. And we get so excited about that. And then what happens? He says, hey, the one of you who's without sin may cast the first stone. And all the bad guys leave. And we end the story there. I'm like, that was cool. And then what's he say? He says, hey, where are your accusers? She says, nowhere. He goes, good. I'm not going to accuse you either, but you need to leave your life of sin over and over and over again. He deals with anyone. He says, here's how your life should actually work. It's how your life should be lived because it's about repentance. That's the repentance story. That's the repentance character in the story. That's what he's teaching. Now, here's the question. Um, how should we live our life? Well, here's how we shouldn't live our life, okay? Um, this is how I live my life, just so you know. So I'm going to say me too on this one. I live my life this way. Um, I set up these standards to live by that are so incredibly easy to accomplish that I feel awesome when I go to bed at night. They're so incredibly easy. Make sure the kids are fed. Don't be mean to my wife. Good night. That's me, man. That's my standards to live by. Um, oh, if my devotional pops up on my phone, I'll read that. If not, nah. That's the standards I feel like I have to live by. We set up these standards that are so easy, but that's not the work of a disciple. 
if you're not sacrificing, if you're not putting in the actual worth work of obedience, if you don't feel that pain of saying, I got to obey him no matter what, even though I don't want to, I don't agree with him sometimes, I have to obey God, then you're setting up these standards that are so simple to live by, but they're not what Jesus required of you if you follow him. So what does um, repentance look like? I'm going to give you three things it looks like. So if you like want to take notes in the notes portion here, this might be a good thing to do. Um, so this is what does repentance look like? Um, it looks like three things, and they start with a C because I like to have uniformity. So, okay, here's the first one. Um, confession, right, confession. Confession is that you are agreeing with God. You change your mind, and you need to be better for him. You confess to God that you sinned. Also, here's the tough one. You've got to confess to the people you sinned against. Um, I want to talk to the dads for a second. If you sin against your family, it doesn't make you weak to repent in front of your kids. It just means you have a great relationship with Jesus. And it's tough. When you yelled at him, when you knew you shouldn't have, and you were just taking out your anger on someone smaller than you, and you feel like, man, that was bad. It's okay to apologize and tell them, hey, I did wrong thing. I'm sorry, I confess. Um, confession is hard, right? It's tough, because when you sin against somebody, you should really confess that sin to them. But it's tough, it's awkward. You know, it used to be that how we would confess is we confess to the high priest. For celebrities now, her name's Oprah. All right, that's what we do. If somebody, a really famous athlete, musician, actor, if they have a real big public sin, like Tiger Woods had a few years back, if you know what I'm saying, every single person says, oh, he's going to go on Oprah. He is. Lance Armstrong, right, for years he's saying, I'm not doing steroids, I'm not doing steroids. But he's like, hey, I did steroids, right? That's what happened. And, and so everybody's like, whoa, how is he going to tell people? He went on Oprah. That's what you do, right? So he goes on Oprah, and it's all prime time. We're all watching. And he says, I sinned against my fans. We still do the high priest thing to confess, but we have a hard time just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I sinned. That's confession. It's not just confession to God. It's confession to the person that you sinned against. Here's the second one. Um, this is called contrition. Okay, contrition is um, hopefully, without saying, but it's that I'm actually sorry I sinned. Okay, that I'm actually sorry I did that. That, you know, that saying that it actually makes me feel bad that I'm not serving you right. And the Holy Spirit will convict you enough to where you will feel bad about it, but you need to have that. So you confess, and then you're actually sorry that you did what you did. Um, this is the third one, and this one is the toughest to achieve, and that's why you need this in your daily life. This is change, actual change. Not chalking it up to, I'm just not there yet, but literally saying, you know what, if I serve him, i got to live by his standards, so i got to change. i got to change what I'm doing. Repentance isn't saying one day I'm going to change. It's saying it's time to change. That's what repentance is. It's saying, hey, it's time. It's not, man, you know what? A year from now, I'm going to set my calendar up to where I'm going to stop being addicted to this. It's saying, I'm done because I love you too much, God. That's what actual change is. So um, characters in the story, we have the father, of course. And man, he's all about grace. And it kind of shocks us the way it ends if you've never heard the story. Um, this, there's a line in this story that I just never really noticed until a few weeks ago. 
it says that, you know, the son, he's coming up. And you can tell he's rehearsing his speech because he's, he's really scared to apologize to his dad, right? And he comes up, and he's rehearsing his speech. He's saying, hey, father, I don't, I, don't plan on, I don't plan on being your son again, but just let me be a hired worker. I'll live in the stables. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. He's rehearsing it. And then it says these words. When he was a long way off, his father saw him. Well, what does that mean? That means that every day, even though his father was absolutely devastated by what he did, he's sitting out and he's looking for his son. His son left. His son turned his back on him. And every day he just sits and he looks for his boy, his little guy. And he watches and he waits and then he sees him. And then the father just doesn't question what to do. Man, he gets off that porch and he runs as fast as he can, and he embraces his son. So, so what does that part mean? Well, if he's, if he's the God character, then that means that he cannot wait to welcome you home. The prodigal son in the story is a believer. He's not someone who has no idea who God is. He knows who his father is. He just said no, because he didn't think he needed all that. Saying, I cannot wait to welcome you home. Um, then you have the older brother. I think we can all kind of relate to the older brother a bit, right? Maybe you are the older brother in the story. Maybe that's you, right? To where, you're, to where you have this sibling that you're in church every Sunday, you're serving, you're in the word, you're giving sacrificially, and, and you have this sibling of yours that is ruining your family name every day. They... they They've screwed up every single relationship they could ever have. They keep getting divorced. They don't know their kids, whatever it might be. I don't know your story here, but, but you have that younger or older sibling, whoever it is, or maybe it's a friend that you're associated with, and you're that older brother, and you're just like, hey, I'm faithful. Why are you messing things up for me? And then that person might come home, and you're, you're a little jealous because you're like, you know what? I serve. Why are they getting all the credit? Why are they the one that you're throwing this big, long party for? Why, why, why them? Um, then you have, of course, the younger brother. He may know that his older brother kind of goes through the motions to be soft. And it's not a big deal for him when he comes home and his older brother's mad because he's like, hey, man, this is for real for me. This is real. Um, you ever had a friend of yours that becomes a Christian for the first time, and they're in that new on-fire stage, you know, and they don't know how to really process all this, so they kind of get in the judgmental stage a little bit. That's how I was. But still, you notice, man, they got this fire, and you don't have it. It's kind of like um, when you've been married for a while, and you get those newlyweds, and they're like, I love you, I love you, I love you, and you're like, I don't even want to look at my wife, right? Like, that's you, because you're like, oh, man, that's not real. That's just early passion. And you judge that. That's the younger brother in this story, man. He gets welcomed home. He's got all this grace. And he just chooses his father's house now. So which brother are you right now? Because we're all one of them. Um, are you the younger brother? And you, at some point, set off for a distant country. Unlike, the, unlike this story, we may have no idea that you did. Maybe your distant country is um, your computer screen or your phone screen when no one else is around. And any chance you got a free moment, 
you're in that distant country. You're having that wild living. And all of the blessings and the grace your father gave you, you're throwing it away because you think, now my instant gratification is so much more important. Maybe your far off country is your gossip. And you got God's people with you today. And you cannot wait to cut them up the back when they're not around. Maybe that's your distant country. So maybe you're the younger brother. And, and you have a father that's just keeping an eye on you. You know, he's saying, hey, he's going to come home. She's going to come home. And I can't wait. Because your father loves second chances. And second chances don't come without repenting. Um, maybe you're the older brother. And you love to keep an eye on everyone else's life. And you think everyone else is the enemy. But you forget, we have one enemy. Um, maybe you need to consider this. The people around you are not the enemy. Maybe they're just orphans that are looking for a father. And they're just, they're just going around thinking, maybe this is what will fulfill me, but it's not. Maybe this is, but it's not. Maybe this is, but it's not. Until they finally realize, oh, this is the father. I'm the orphan, and he's welcoming me home. So which one are you today? Which son are you in this story? Because only God is the father in this story. But which one are you? Uh, let's pray. Uh, father, thank you, Lord, um, for just this story of the two sons. Uh, God, I can't imagine what it was like to just be sitting there and have you telling us that there was a man and he had two sons and you just kept telling the story and then it hits hard everyone in the crowd, Lord. Um, Father, I just pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray for us as a people, God, that um, first of all, we understand that man, it is a daily life of choosing you every single day. We got to choose you over and over and over again because you're better. So God, I pray that we can do that. 